welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday between 2 and 3 p.m. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. And uh, this being Wednesday, we have Vivek Jacob, Big V, friend of the program, probably number one friend of the program, actually, um, joining us to... Honestly, talk more a little bit more about OG and an OB trade talks, um, and then preview the NBA Finals a little bit. This might be the one episode V that uh, we we don't discuss our favorite sport. Um, just because it's okay, you know, man. We could use a break. We could use a break. You're right. You're right. That's that's what I'm doing. Absolutely. Um, so okay, I, I know you can use it. You say that, but I played yesterday. <laughs> Busted up my toe in the process. It's all good. Um, anyway, V. So, um. Yesterday, the, the trade report comes out from Jake Fisher, a bleacher report that um, OG may or may not, you know, want to trade. To be honest, it kind of seemed like he, that he doesn't want to trade, but teams are interested in trading for OG. Um, oh, real interesting. So one of the teams, Portland was obviously uh, mentioned as well as Utah. Um, and when the Portland uh, rumor was put out there, I think Dame Lillard liked a post about it. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that, adds anything to it a like could just be a like um but in any case v this kind of report got me thinking about who on the raptors has the most trade value and sort of building backwards from there because i think a a large part of like if you do want to move og and stuff like that it's really discussion of his trade value and you know we saw like what number seven and you know josh hart and this kind of stuff like Okay, that's kind of interesting to me. But I was thinking about, like, which guys on the team has the most trade value, which is kind of what I want to talk to you about. So I'll start with you on this one. Um, is there anyone in the Raptors who is untouchable? Like, you're not going to trade in any sort of context pretty much ever. Scotty Barnes. That's the guy. Um, it's the only one? I, I think if you looked at him, the only way maybe you would even get to a point where you pick up the phone is if it's about... Kate Cunningham or Evan Mobley or something like that, right? Uh, um, I think beyond that, uh, you know, Pascal is the closest. And okay. so I think uh, I think Pascal, when you look at, again, what the potential return could be, you're more than happy keeping him. Uh, kind of tired of seeing his name attached to Ruby, Rudy Gobert. Pascal <laughs> is more valuable than that. So, yeah. Um, so I think if I had to put two on the list, it would be two. Uh, if it's just one, then it's Scotty first. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, you know, Scotty's also untradeable because at that rookie contract, <laughs> the players that you would want for him are, are not going to be eligible pretty much. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so the Scotty Barnes thing, like I think even earlier in the season when it was very clear, like, wow, the Raptors have like somebody who's probably going to go ahead and contend for rookie of the year you know, being the all-star conversation moving forward, like just a, a rookie with a ton of potential. And I was even thinking about this, like maybe back in December, it was like, is, is Scotty Barnes already like a top 10 trade asset in the league? Because I think mm. when you're thinking about like, not just like the, because a top 10 trade asset is not necessarily a top 10 players in the NBA, right? Like right. this is totally different. Um, the reason why, well, part of the reason why Scotty is so valuable is because of the fact that he's already shown so much potential you have him under contract for at least three more years. And then afterwards, you get to sign him in restricted free agency, likely to a, a long-term deal after that. So you might be looking at another runway of seven more years with with a guy mm-hmm. like this, right, who has star potential. So that's why I think when you're thinking about untouchable, I completely agree with you. Um, 
I think the second category I kind of have is sort of like core pieces. Like if you have these guys on your team, you have a direction, you have an identity. And if you move one of those guys or if you move away from these players in this category of just like core pieces, you're essentially pivoting to a rebuild or you really are going for like some sort of like Kawhi Leonard style. Like we're going to all we're going all in and we got to win the chip right now. And so for me, this category of core pieces i'm assuming you got pascal on this one i have pascal on this one as well um is there anyone else in this category that you would have uh in terms of the core right now obviously everyone includes fred van vliet and og ananobi in that as well Mm -hmm. um but i think those are the ones where you start to say okay what is actually on the table um so, yeah, I guess it, de- it depends on how you're defining the core because technically, you know, when you're looking at how the Raptors want to build for the future, you would say that OG Ananobi is a bigger piece to that puzzle than Fred Van Vliet. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Well, what, what, what makes you say that, though? Uh, the length, the switchability, uh, the three-point shooting. Um, I think there's more to be gained there. I think uh, his game is also more playoff proof if that makes sense i think mm. with fred van okay. vliet um i think the size is an issue i think you know he's had issues in the past with that going up against length and obviously this postseason injuries had a lot to do with it uh but i think when you look at the future of this team um i think og ananobi fits that vision six nine a bit better than the dude who's uh listed at six feet yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, I, I think that's all fair. That's all true. But, I mean, in terms of, like, a diversity of skill sets and everything like that, I mean, the fact that Fred can shoot so well, and, and I saw some um, graphics that sort of came out about sort of, like, um, uh, three-point shooting efficiency on catch and shoots, uh, mm-hmm. charted against three-point efficiency um, on pull-up threes, right? Yeah. And Fred is... <laughs> He's at like the top right quadrant. Like it's he's which is to say he is incredible at both of those relative yeah. to the league wide. I mean, in terms of pull up three point shooting, in terms of the volume, in terms of the accuracy, it's like on par with a guy like Trey Young. And in terms mm-hmm. of catch and shoot threes, I think he like honestly before the injury, he was the most efficient catch and shoot three point shooter in the league this past season. And I think when you're thinking about like the 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 style of players that you have around them. The one common weakness is like they just short on three point shooting, and that's where Fred really does come in. And and, and I would put I would definitely put Fred in this core group uh, of like, you know, if you move Fred, for example, I, I actually don't think that. I, I think it it would really signal a lot of things. Number one, like he's the leader of the team. Um, yep, he is a lot of the identity of the team to me as well. I know the identity of the team is like everyone is six nine and playing the forwards, and obviously he's the one that sticks out. But when you think about like this almost the emotional identity of the team, like um, mm-hmm. all these players coming in who are low draft picks, who are undrafted, who look up to a guy who's won a championship, who's made an all-star in this league. Is I mean, Fred is very much a self-made man. Like there's nothing that was given to Fred. Um, yeah. And so when you're thinking about the, the, the identity of your team, I feel like he's too important to that. Um, so I'm going to put him in the core for sure. And also just he is just very, very good as a player and he is in his prime years. Um, yeah. So one thing I will say is I don't want to confuse me putting 
you, you know, I'm just power ranking OG ahead of Fred Van Fleet in that core. Okay. So okay, fair so enough. Uh, so this is not to say that, you know, to say that Fred Van Vliet is below OG in the power rank, it is not to say that Fred is not valuable. Mm. Obviously, everything that he brings to the table is immense for this team. Um, it's a good save. I, I like this. In terms it's of the long-term Courtois future. Level of save. <laughs> in terms of the long-term future, if I had to power rank it, it would be Scotty 1, Pascal mm. 2, OG 3, and then Fred 4. So what do you think you could, if you, if you were to shop Fred right now, whether you're left on this deal, bird rights as well on the deal. Very affordable at the current moment. I think he's slightly underpaid by like five million. I guess that's not slightly when you talk about five million, but um yeah, what do you think you could get for Fred right now? Hypothetically. Yeah, to be honest with you, it's not something I've given too much thought just because I like the idea of the Raptors just kicking the can down the road. Me too. Um and continuing to build with what they have. Uh because, again, when I think of primes, when I think of uh, the long-term outlook of this team, Pascal and Fred, they might be 28, 29, but to me, they can keep going at a really high level till they're 33, 34. So, mm-hmm. like, five years is a really long time. So, there's no need to sort of, you know, push the panic button right now and and just overreact because Scotty's 20. Uh, so... Uh, in terms of trade value, I mean, I, th- I think this is where you get into a little bit of uh, the contract situation as well. At four years, 85, you look at deals that might be equivalent to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably won't get fair value. Yeah, no, that's, now, a, that's a fair point. I like that. Yeah. And and that's where it. I think it becomes more about role going forward with this team where mm-hmm. you want to see the ball more in Scotty's hands. You want to see the ball more in Pascal's hands. And Fred, I think would be uh happier and more effective playing off ball um, and getting those catch and shoot opportunities a bit more like w- what we saw in the championship season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frankly, when I think about the long-term future of this team, if Fred were ever comfortable with it, once he's, you know, in maybe the down phase of his peak, I could see him transitioning to almost like a Manu Ginobili role where he's coming off the bench and just stabilizing bench units and being himself at all times. Um, but still, you know, giving you a healthy, whatever it is, 27 to 30 minutes a game and impacting the game. Interesting. Interesting. That that would have to be a few years down the line for sure. More than a few years, yeah. actually, but... Yeah, I could no, I could see that. No, I I really see Fred as a guy who's gonna stay for a long time. Um and yeah. I, it's also tough. There's a lot of teams in the league that could really use the point guard. Um so it's hard to say. Like, for example, if you were like to call the Knicks and be like, Hey, we have this first time all star point guard, what are you gonna give me? I, I think you could probably get anything out of them outside of like RJ Barrett. You know? Mm. So but I I don't want that to happen. I think again, like the, the reason I built this sort of like um core group is the idea that if you move one of these pieces you essentially are redesigning your whole team and for me i'm I'm happy with the design of the team so i don't want to do that the next category i have is sort of like nice to have appealing assets and you know not to say they're they're assets in the sense that like you're you're about to move them or anything like that but just like players who would hold a lot of value to both the raptors and also to opposing teams looking to make a trade with the raptors Right. Who do you have in this category? 
Yeah, so I, th- I think Gary Trent Jr. has got to be there. Yep. Um, and then, and then it gets tough because you've got Ken Birch on kind of a team-friendly deal. You would probably think, if in terms of getting value back, you're probably putting the two together in a package. Um, and then, yeah, because you look beyond the four, you got to see what happens with Chris Boucher. You got to see what happens with that young. Yep. Um, or else, you know, they they would probably figure into the equation. Um, so that's really it. It's, I mean, Gary Trent Jr. is the guy. What about Precious? At. What about Precious? Would he fit in this category? It, it's, it's hard because his contract value is so low. Like, um, that's his number is so low. So you, you, you have to, like, really attach him with somebody else to move. Not that you, again, not that you would move any of these pieces. But I think a, a lot of teams, if, the, if they were looking at the Raptors, they'd be like, wow. I would love to see Precious on my team, considering the, the the leaps that he made this season. Well, what I would say then is you would look at what the potential return is um, and if you can get like a legitimate star out of Gary Trent Jr. plus Precious Achua, mm. right? Yeah, right. Uh, and then if, if you're making a significant upgrade there, then it's something that you would look at. I think Precious Achuar, just his deal alone, it was the, the rookie contract was four years, twelve million. And yeah. when you look at the upside yep. uh, of what he showed in the second half of the season, it is going to be very difficult to get fair value for that. I agree. Which, which is a long way from what we thought in October, November, December. Yeah, that Colorado sign and trade seems fairly balanced now. I know at that time it was like underwhelming. People were like, wow, we didn't even get KZ Okpala or we didn't get Duncan <laughs> Robinson. It was like, yeah, you know, maybe Masai knows what he's doing. It's okay, guys. Maybe. We, t- we took care of Kyle and the Heat took care of us. It was, it was all good. It was, a win- it was a win-win, you know. I think people are pretty happy with Precious uh, based on the, the moves that he made this season. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with you. I think that's the only thing. It's just like it is really hard to foresee a scenario where the Raptors would move Precious. Um just because he's still on his rookie deal, just because, you know, they just traded for him, just because Masai said, finally, you are mine now. Mm-hmm. Which I think you asked him that question at the press. Was that, was that you who asked him? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. I, I asked him what it was like to, you know, be sort of reunited after, uh, you know, the Giants of Africa experience together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that's yeah. that's the quote he gave. That's one of the, uh, that's one of the, the three press conferences where you didn't ask a basketball, uh, a soccer question. <laughs> Although we actually, we did it in the scrum afterwards. Remember the informal scrum that yes. Masai was holding? Because remember there was that talk of like, oh, you know, because he was like uh, courted by lots of people, not just in basketball, like in other sports as well. And mm-hmm. the, the rumor was that like an EPL team had contacted him. And you and I being just absolute, you know, nerds, were being like, oh my God, who was it? You know, like the, the PSG <laughs> yeah. call from Masai or something like that. Um, but anyway, we didn't actually get the answer there, unfortunately, uh, of which of which Premier League team called him. Um, I guess PSG. That was actually Premier. that but, private conversation we had with him was the original. Oh, you know, if I could have traded or s- signed Messi in free agency, I would have. <laughs> yeah, that's we funny. dream. It, yeah, we dream like they dream. Yeah, no, that's okay. The Lakers, uh, they got Darvin Ham. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, man. They're they're gonna enjoy Darvin. Uh, we're gonna keep uh, Nick Nurse, and then yeah. In, in terms of to wrap up this sort of idea, like the last con- the last category I have is like m- movable contracts, like essentially yep. like 
filler pieces that you can sort of move in. Probably don't, doesn't have too much like inherent value just on their own. Um, yeah. And I think in this category, you got to put Ken Burch in here. Um, I know he had a down season, but his contract is very low. Um, he's mm-hmm. a dependable player. Uh, honestly, when he's healthy, very smart player, very unselfish player. Still in his 20s as well. We obviously, obviously, what he what he looks like after arthroscopic knee surgery, but it's not a contract where teams are going to be like really pressed about holding on to. Again, it's, we're talking about six million dollars a year. That's very low in the in the modern NBA. Um, I think one Thad, if and if and one Thad and Chris Boucher get resigned, I think they fit into this category as well. Yeah, and then everyone else essentially. I mean, no one's going to trade for them because their their contracts are too low or they don't have long term contracts. So that kind of covers off the team as we speak, but. I think part of the reason why I wanted to do this exercise too is just sort of like look at like where the Raptors are in terms of like um, the pieces they have and the potential they have to sort of build themselves into a championship organization. We know they mm-hmm. already did it once um, and they're trying to go back and, and climb back on top of the hill again. I think they actually have a pretty good um, selection of players and pieces that you feel very comfortable keeping them and growing with them. And at the same time, if you do move them, I think they have very good value. Like, I don't think there's even one bad contract on the Raptors, which is actually very, very nice to see. And I kind of want to sort of contrast that with sort of like the way that Boston and Golden State built their rosters, right? Because obviously the two of them are going to meet in the finals. It's going to start tomorrow. Finally, we're actually getting some basketball again. I've been missing watching basketball. This break between the conference finals and the actual finals has has been very long. Um, But anyway... So I kind of wanted to look before, at... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Before we get to the Warriors-Celtics points that we're about to make, there's a quick thing, thing that I just wanted to throw in about trade scenarios for the Raptors. Sure. And just make the point that, you know, when you look at the Raptors' front office history of making deals, they usually do it when they've pretty much reached peak value of a player. Mm. So you think about right. DeMar DeRozan. You think about Terrence Ross. Norm Powell. You think about e- even Norman Powell. Yeah. Right? They were able to extract pretty much max value for those guys. And so um, when you look at the players on the roster right now, the only one who's probably close to that or the only two are probably Fred and Pascal, and they're probably not getting dealt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it's it's fun for people to talk about. I know it's like the number one thing people always want to do is like play with the the trade machine. But yeah, it's I, I if my... It's going to be a very boring offseason for the Raptors. I'm just going to say that. It's going to be very low-key <laughs> is my uh, prediction. Maybe it's not. Um, and if it – honestly, for content purposes, it's probably better if it's not. But most likely it will be a very chill offseason for the Raptors. Okay, so, Hey, as long as we get uh, videos of Scotty shooting jumpers, we're good. Yeah, that's right. Scotty hitting three straight uh, three-pointers, uncontested, unguarded, <laughs> but on the line. And I'm like, people are going crazy over it. I, I love the offseason. It's not like he hasn't done that, I don't know, like every single day of his life for the last probably 10 years. But anyway, let's just move on. Um, so I want to look at the way the two teams in the finals were built, starting with mm-hmm. Boston. And what was really striking to me, actually, thinking about Boston's team, is that there's not a single player in their rotation right now that they acquired via free agency. Like, this team is entirely built through the draft and through two shrewd trades, which were really only conducted this season with Al Horford returning in the Kemba Walker um, salary dump, essentially. They gave up a first-round pick to do that. Horford has obviously played a huge role in the Celtics' run. And then they were able to acquire Derek White at the trade deadline. They traded um, uh, Josh Richardson plus a first plus a future swap. Uh, everyone else on the team, though, was just drafted. 
which I think to me is like mm-hmm. probably the most impressive part of Boston's build. And yeah, Vivek, like what are some of the lessons you take away from watching the Celtics in terms of like how they built the roster? I think the biggest thing is patience. Mm. Because when you look at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, when when you fail, you're more likely people from the outside are more likely to keep pointing out the things that you can't do, right? And it was always, oh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown don't work together. Marcus Smart can't play the point guard position, can't be a playmaker. Um, But they have just stuck with those guys Mm -hmm. and continue to believe in them. Uh, And, you know, to parallel that, I think of the Warriors, you know, when they were building with the Splash Brothers, yeah, they took that knock initially against the Clippers and that was there was a conversation at the time was like hey does something need to change here mm-hmm. um there were rumors of that Kevin Love trade right yep. uh, for for Clay Thompson and so uh, I think they stuck with it and they just got a little piece to help them in Andrea Godala and that's all they did mm-hmm same thing with the Celtics. Like they've just tweaked around the edges and kept it together. Um, it's funny. I, I kind of, when I look at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the way they've kept at it, can't help but think, you know, maybe they are the modern day version of kind of like what would have happened if Vince and T Mac would have oh, stayed together. Damn. Damn. I can't, yeah. I mean, not, not comparing, you know, what their style of play. Sure, man. But you you talk about you know two guys who kind of came in on rookie contracts to a team, mm-hmm. yeah, and are athletic wings and could be special together. That's what they are. Yeah. No, that's true. And I, I think you make a great point. Like the, the 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 base of both teams is built through the draft. Like this is a like it, again. I'm not trying to like prescribe judgment to or morality to how you build a team like who cares just put your team together just move on right um but like this is two very organically grown teams we're looking at the free range finals essentially okay well on boston side you got bot you got jalen brown number three overall pick 2016 you got jason tatum number three overall pick 2017 marcus smart six overall pick 2014 grant williams 22nd overall 2019 Robert Williams, 27 over, uh, tw- uh, overall in 2018, and even Peyton Pritchard, 26 overall 2020 draft. It's like that is the the core of their team. They drafted these guys. They made a few trades, and obviously we'll get into that in a second, but you know that is Boston's core. And you look at Golden State's core, Steph Curry, number seven overall 2009, Clay Thompson, 11th overall 2011, Draymond, 36 overall 2012. That's probably the best draft pick in, in both these teams, by the way. Like that That's inspired mm. drafting. By the Warriors there. Uh, Jordan Poole, 28th overall in 2019. And then Kavon Looney, 30th overall, 2015. Jonathan Kaminga, 7th overall this past year's draft. And then Moody at 14. Like, like we're looking at two teams that are essentially just, if you really nail the draft, you can build, and, and you, you show some patience, as you mentioned, you can build a contender. And then it really, the other thing, too, is just, as you mentioned, like the trades that you make and then the trades that you don't make. Because on Boston's side, you obviously got the KG and Paul Pierce trade, which when you think yeah. about it at that time, very much like what we were just speaking about with the Raptors. It's just like you have to extract maximum value from them as players. And then at the end of it, you have to make a very hard choice in terms of when to sort of give it up. 
And obviously mm-hmm. at that time, Brooklyn, you know, as they always are, were very thirsty to build a super team and failed. I feel like that's in my in my lifetime as a rap, as a, as, a, as a basketball fan of like twenty years. I think that's already happened like three or four times with with Brooklyn, like or I guess even New Jersey yeah. back then. Um, but yeah, you even look back at that trade. Like they they got the twenty fourteen pick, twenty sixteen pick, uh, twenty seventeen pick swap, and twenty eighteen first round picks all from Brooklyn, just to get rid of KG and Paul Pierce at the end of their careers, and that set them up for this next decade of being great right mm-hmm. yep yeah and then on the warrior side it's like they it's it's not even about the trades that you make it's also the trades you turn down right because they had a chance yeah. to flip steph for amari on draft night and amari was amazing in 2009 like that no one would have blamed them if they took amari stoudemire but they kept it they took steph and then obviously later on as you mentioned not moving clay for kevin love in 2014 which was also at the time was like why would you not trade for kevin love and now when I remember back and sort of rekindle my memory, mm-hmm. it was Jerry West who was kind of adamant about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he was sort of like, I'm gone if, if you guys do this. And so shout out Jerry West. Yeah. And then he was gone anyway. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, my work here is done. I mean, bro, his work here was definitely done when you think about it. No, but like, I, I just... I respect a lot about what these two organizations have done, you know, and I think the other piece of it too is just like finding the right coach. And for the Warriors, they found the right coach very early on. Steve Kerr, first year he's brought on, he wins the championship. And now you look at Boston, they hire Ime Udoka, who, by the way, I think the Raptors were also in on Ime back when they, they, they let go of Dwayne Casey. I think he was one of the finalists. Obviously, Nick ended yep. up getting the job, but Ime was very much top of mind for Masai and company and, uh, yeah, you find the right coach, you find you, you you draft the right players, you make shrewd moves and you know, it's 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 fun. It's kind of enjoyable to me that we're not seeing like a super team kind of free agency kind of monstrosity that uh that are taking place in this year's finals. Like these are just two teams who are really well run, made the right picks and now they're getting to play on the big stage. You got a prediction for the finals? I think this is going to be a great series. Uh I think we're going to finish off strong uh, mm-hmm. after the disappointing conference finals. But, uh, yeah, I'm leaning Warriors in seven Yeah, right okay. now. Uh, how about you? Yeah, likewise. I know Alex is uh, more of a Celtic hater than the two of us. Uh, we're trying to hide it right now, but uh, we are also <laughs> Celtic haters. And, uh, yeah, he picked Warriors in five. That's optimistic. Wow. But then at the same time, you know, you never know, man. If the If the Warriors give you one of those vintage performances – it's possible. That's the thing when you're dealing with like a, a dynasty like that. Like they just have that kind of level. But Vivek, thank you for joining us as always on Wednesday. Look forward to calling you again next week. Um, and uh, yeah, man, take care. Thanks, Will. As always, take care. All right. I think that's a good spot for us to take a break. I'm your host, Wim Lu, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sports and 590 The Fan. When we come back, we will dive much more in depth into the finals matchup between the Warriors and the Celtics. Stay tuned. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. And for the second segment, to preview everything upcoming with the NBA Finals, 
I am joined by Mo DeKeel, founder of thejumpball.net, at Bleacher Report as well, podcasts with the Athletic NBA, uh, and also former NBA video coordinator with the Clippers, with the San Antonio Spurs, with the Australian men's basketball team, and also just like a really good dude who is a great follow on Twitter as well. Um, Mo, how you doing? I did a lot. That's a lot to run down. I might need to cut down here a little bit. Yeah, you you have. You, no, you 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 got a lot of stripes in this game. No, it's it's great. Honestly, like it's uh it's great. You're I'm seeing what you're doing. What are you doing like post games now? You're you're on Twitch as well. It's- I do I do Twitch streams from time to time. Uh, probably not as often as I would like. I'm also traveling right now, so it's going to make the Twitch streams kind of weird because okay. I'm dependent on internet connections elsewhere but ultimately i do i try to break down the game as much as i can to make the fans smarter that's that's really what i'm trying to do yeah definitely no i i definitely feel a lot smarter watching um you know just all the clips that you put online you know you're also doing another thing one mo thing you know yeah. which i just uh just just watched your video on steph curry so i remember i was like wow steph curry blocked a corner three like that's rare we but can't then, forget that. It's not going to happen again. I'd be shocked. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I think I've probably watched, I don't know, like high 500 Steph games. Um, and I don't think I've seen him block a, a three before. But then as you highlight on that play in, in the one more thing that you did, he made like four different rotations to get there in that, he, in that play. And it's just like, wow, that's Steph's a lot better on defense than I think we give him credit for right now, at least. No, I mean, I think, you know, the the reputation he earned at the start of his career was fair. And I think, you know, we don't tend to change, allow that to change very often narratively wise. And I think, you know, you're right. He's gotten so much better defensively. Now I'm not going to say he's a lockdown defender or anything, Mm -hmm. but he's always in the right spots. Like he's making plays and competing. It's something that I wish a guy like Trey young would pay attention to. Mm -hmm. He's not as tall as Curry, but I'd like him to try. And I think sometimes that's just a big value of that. And then from there, he's just gotten a lot better with his awareness and things. And I think that clip really illustrates it for Curry. Yeah, he he looks physically stronger as well. Um, I, I don't know how much that necessarily impacted it as well. Um, but it, it does seem like he is uh, more often like neutral and a slight plus defensively in a lot of these matchups that we have seen. And, and and that's kind of where I wanted to start with. So um, when you're looking at the finals, the defensive matchups for both teams, who's going to be guarding who, I think that's probably going to be the most important thing. So uh, Mo, I, I'd love to ask, you know, what are the defensive matchups going both, uh, both ways here? Yeah. So I think starting for the Celtics, I think they're going to start with Marcus smart on Curry. He's done a great job over the years guarding Curry. It seems to be a pretty favorable matchup for him. I think you're going to start out with, uh, I'm going to assume Robert Williams is going to be playing sure. and, and healthy. So that might change depending on how things go. We're going to have media day here in just a little bit. Um, I'm going to assume you're going to have Horford on Draymond and you're going to put Williams on Looney and allow Williams to roam defensively. And then from there, I think Tatum's going to be on Wiggins and you're going to put uh, Jalen Brown on Clay Thompson. Now, ultimately, here's the thing. They're going to switch a lot. So yeah. the way the possession is going to start, it's going to be one thing. And and how it ends will be wildly different with who's on who. And I think that's going to be the main thing. On the flip side, I think you're going to start out with um, Curry still going to match up with Smart. I think they're going to put Jalen Brown on Wiggins, or excuse me, on Jason Tatum. Sorry, that's confusing. This oh, is hold on. So, too much basketball at once. Uh, Jason Tatum on, on Clay Thompson. 
Tatum on Wiggins. I think the matchups will generally be the same. I think Draymond's going to start out on Horford and Kevon Looney with Williams. I think that's going to largely be the same matchup. And, mm. you know, for them, the key is going to just being like staying out of switches because you don't want Curry switching on any of the big wigs. Right, right. And I think that's probably where if you if you think about the way the Celtics will probably try to attack, I think the Celtics probably play more mismatch basketball than the Warriors do necessarily. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think we saw a variety of that um, in the last series with Dallas where um, Luka was definitely trying to look for Steph all the time. And, and they did a whole bunch of stuff the Warriors did defensively to try to avoid that. It's a lot of Steph like hedging and, you know, trying to get back into, onto his man or, um, you know, they were playing some more zone as well to sort of to prevent that sort of one-on-one sort of hunting. Um do you do you think that 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 experience with Dallas having just played Luca helps the Warriors in that in that regard in terms of like being able to to hide stuff a little bit more effectively to keep them out of these bad one-on-one matchups? Yeah, I think that's been a big part of it. I think this is something they've had to deal with for years. I mean, just think about all the times when they've matched up against the Rockets with James Harden. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the same thing. You know, it's 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 almost a common occurrence. And at this point, they probably have more practice than any team in the NBA trying to hide their with 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 their guys showing hard and trying to recover. I mean, that's part of Curry's gotten good at it because he's had multiple reps in a way that nobody else has had. And I think that's important to kind of figure. I think the other thing that's going to get interesting and maybe challenging for the Warriors is when they have Poole and Curry on the court at the mm, same time. Right. Because right. now you're putting two targets out there. I might we might see some zone in that. We might see some of that kind of come out there a little bit, but I think that's going to be really interesting. I think you're right. And the Celtics are going to try to play some matchup ball and look for opportunities for Marcus smart to slip. If Curry hedges, because then it turns into Marcus smart attacking on a four on three. And then that mm. will get interesting. Interesting. So smart could do a little Draymond uh, in this series. It, it, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, to, to the point about the Warriors defense, I think, I mean, look, they've always been a really good, defensive team i know obviously the, the the credit that they get and the reputation is always like you know they revolutionized the game with how much three-point shooting with their movement all that stuff and obviously steph and, and clay being just incredible shooters all-time shooters um but i think what's what's lost is like they're consistently like a top five defensive team as well and i think this year though it's interesting because you look at it maybe to me at least the impression is i look at like the individual personnel and it doesn't feel like they should be that good defensively which kind of leads me to two things. Like one, I mean, Draymond probably just needs to get even more love defensively for the things he does with this team. But also, be like, like Steve Kerr has gotten really, really creative with his defense. Even in the past, when they did a lot of like switching, and they had Andre Godala, and they had, they had Kevin Durant, and they had Sean Livingston, and it was like, oh my God, there's just wings everywhere, and they switched everything. They were probably more like Boston at that time. But this version of of you know the Warriors defense, like. I mean, this being a Raptor show, did, did Steve Kerr lift a lot of ideas from Nick Nurse defensively? Yeah, I, I I think that's actually a big part of it. I mean, just think about, you know, he got a look at the box and one of close and personal during those finals. And then from there, we've, we've seen him use it. He used it against Luka Doncic, you know, and I think you're going to see a lot of that stuff. I think he started to get more creative defensively with that happening. And I think here's the thing, and this is a secret that coaches don't want other people to know. So I'm going to whisper it very quietly, but coaches steal from other coaches. 
all the time. Nobody comes up with original stuff. It's all taken from somebody else. Coaching is thievery at its best. You know, uh-huh. you see somebody else run a play, it works. You're like, hey, we we could run the same play. And I think, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with it. And I think, yeah, a big part of that 2019 finals kind of changed Curry's perspective a little bit defensively. Yeah, it, it is kind of funny because I remember even, you know, I think it was game two of the Raptors finally pulled out the box and one and and one comment that I got, I, th- I think, got a lot of Raptor fans, you know, irate. Good look, we're we're a very sensitive fan base. You're always irate. I love you guys. <laughs> we're You're always irate. I tweet the wrong thing, and that's my mentions for the rest of the, the week. I'm sorry, Mo. I'm sorry, man. Listen, we're, <laughs> it, it is what it is. You know, we're we're the perpetual underdogs. You know, it's a little annoying. I get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like Steph was saying, like, you know, like it's a bit of a janky defense, and people were like, wow, how dare you call it janky? All that stuff, and it's like. Now the Warriors do that stuff. Like the Warriors throw out tons of like junk defensive schemes all the time. And it's actually really fun to watch. It's really impressive to watch, actually. I think it's like, I mean, even just thinking about like the defenses that work nowadays in the NBA, like I think players are so skilled across the board and so much three-point shooting and so much speed and versatility. It's like, don't you feel like unless you have like that Boston style of defense where you can just switch everything and you can kind of neutralize almost any sort of advantages that pe- the teams, teams try to come up against, like don't you have to be that creative? Like when I look at coaches around the league and they don't have four or five defensive schemes that they can sort of shuffle through on a game-to-game basis or even within games, like I almost see that as a disadvantage for for most coaches. Like if you're just coming in and playing drop defense and, and, and sort of trying to, you know um, – Tom Thibodeau your way through it a little bit. It, it's, it feels almost outdated. Yeah, I think coaches have to get more revolutionary in terms of how they approach things. And I think, you know, zone defense is a good way to just mix up coverages and and forget about just hiding a guy. Just throw an offense out of rhythm for two or three possessions. You know, one thing I'd like to see more of is actually I'd like to see more teams selectively press full court and mm. pressure and 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 put on something there because i think t- offenses take for granted that hey like we can just walk the ball up the court it takes eight, it's an eight second counts waiting there and i think you you know i think that's something teams need to get to but i think the game's revolutionized in a way where you have to be creative defensively i think the way offenses have evolved defense has to make the next evolution in terms of it and the old school principles like i'm a old school guy if you don't help off the strong side corner and now as I'm watching, I'm like, well, there might be instances where you're going to need to. And, you know, you have to kind of figure that stuff out because offenses have learned to take advantage of defenses. So now defenses need to change. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it, it makes it interesting. It's like, to me, I, I watch coaches now and it's almost like like a pitcher essentially like, or, or like a catcher, you know, throwing down the signs with a good pitcher that can throw like four or five pitches to get outs like that. That's kind of what it feels like on a game to game possession. Maybe maybe I'm just watching the Raptors a little bit too much, but I am really enjoying that sort of like tactical side of it. I I think, um, you know, going back to the the finals matchup here, you know, the two starting fives, I think defensively match up well against each other. Um, I think offensively, both teams are going to struggle a little bit to sort of find advantages. If you're looking at the Warriors' perspective in terms of how you want to attack this Boston defense, because that's what makes the Celtics so great is that they're so good defensively. Like, where do they attack? I think it, it, it's let's make Boston play fewer possessions in the half court defensively. Okay. And that's by pace and pushing the ball. Run off makes. Run 
every opportunity they get, they need to push the ball. They, they're going to have a lot of turnovers. This is who the Golden State Warriors are. But they need to be playing, um, I kind of joked and call it uh, Top Gun style, just fast and reckless. Let's go. Mm. You know, and, 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 and fly up the court, need to get opportunities, need to pick up the pace, and make the defense, you know, have to chase them in that opportunity. And if they can keep the pace up and keep that going, that will be fewer possessions Boston has to play where they get to, excuse me, fewer possessions where the Warriors have to play against a Boston set defense. And that's critical right there. And I think that's going to be the one of the main things I'm going to watch for is really the battle of pace. If the Warriors can get this game into the 110s, the 115s, that plays right in their hands. If Boston can get this into the the low 100s, that's going to work perfectly for them. Yeah, I totally agree. And and it's been interesting watching the Warriors like throughout this playoff run because they're they're winning in ways that at least I don't remember them doing the same things in previous playoff runs. Um, like for example, they just dominated the uh, the the Mavericks on the offensive glass. And I actually yeah. am curious to hear from you. Like, what what made the Warriors so good in the offensive glass? Because this this team never really struck me as like a wow. You got to really keep them off the boards, but they're clearly doing something that makes them quite effective. Yeah, I think the uh, ultimate thing is one against Dallas. They had the size advantage because they were playing small, but they constantly are crashing, and they understand that hey, we need to rebound as a team defensively so that's all five guys the phrase constantly used is gang rebound right all Mm -hmm. five guys jumping in offensively they're getting crashes from the corners from guys like andrew wiggins who's really stepped up in the playoffs um and really in his run as a warrior like this has been a great run for him you know crashing from the, the the corner for offensive rebounds it's very hard for defenses to box that guy out so that's really the opportunities that they're going to find in terms of rebounding but other things that they're doing is Teams are more focused on taking the three away from them, and they're content with that. Cool, we'll just beat you with twos. We're going to get into the get into the lane consistently and easily over and over again, and that's exactly what they did through the entire run of the playoffs so far. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, I, I think that that corner crash um, is really interesting because I think in, in a lot of other – I think probably in previous seasons, it, it felt like that was much more rare. Like the priority was usually to get back on defense, especially if you're like – the corner shooter and the shot goes up, you probably have to make the longest. You, have, you would definitely have to make the longest run back defensively. Um, yeah, so I think I, there was definitely more of a priority put on transition defense. I think even maybe across the league wide, but even when I want to watch the Raptors season, like the Raptors were second uh, in the regular season in offensive rebounding right behind uh, Memphis. And like, that's one of the things the Raptors always did. They would always crash from the corners always. And they usually crash with like precious or Chris Boucher coming from the corners. That's, you know, it's a very athletic guy coming in the corner without anyone boxing him out. And that's one of the reasons why the Raptors were able to find that inefficiency in getting those extra possessions. And it's and it's funny, going back to stealing stuff, this is something that the Milwaukee Bucks made a ton of money off of in the playoffs last year with PJ Tucker crashing from the corner consistently, right? right. right? He's a corner three-point shooter, and it really kind of just, you know, he would just crash every time. And and that created another off- offensive possessions for the Bucks then. And I think a lot of teams caught on to that. And I we're seeing a massive influx of that throughout the entire season. You you said the Raptors is something we've seen from Memphis, mm-hmm. something we're seeing from the Warriors and Wiggins. We've seen it from a lot of teams. It's not just those few teams doing it. A lot of teams saw it and now are doing it this season. And, and yeah, they've put more emphasis on crashing the offensive glass. Yeah, it's really smart. Uh, it's really smart. But, of course, you know, if you do commit a lot to – the offensive glass, there is still the risk that you have numbers out in transition. I think this is a team where, this is a series where both teams are just so lethal 
in transition. Obviously, the, the, the Celtics obviously have lots of great athletes um, out in the run, and the Warriors are just like, I mean, they don't even run to the rim sometimes. They'll just run out to the three-point line, and it's even harder to guard those, I think, in transition. Um, I think, you know, in terms of looking at the benches, um, that that's, to me, where some of the separation might come, offensively at least, is the fact that the Warriors can bring someone like Jordan Poole into the game. He is very, very dynamic uh, as a scorer. Um, whereas I, I, feel, I look at the bench for Boston, and it doesn't really feel like they have, like, a guy that you can rely on all the time for scoring. I guess you could say Peyton Pritchard, but he's very rarely a factor in many of these games. So do you see that as a distinct advantage for the Warriors? Yes and no, because I think what it does is as good as he is on offense, he's also a liability on defense, mm. you know, and, and, and I think that that becomes an issue. They got to get be able to get 20 to 25 minutes from pool. Like, I don't think we're going to see that really small pool Curry Thompson lineup uh, as often as people think is, you, you know, just because, again, the size disadvantage and things like that for what it does for the Warriors and what it allows the Celtics to be able to do to them on the offensive end. I feel like it's going to open up opportunities. I think pool is going to be really important and he's got to be able to stay on the court defensively and knock down shots. Now, if he's knocking down shots, if he's not knocking down shots, I don't see him playing a lot of minutes because he's going to be hurting defensively. But I think if he can hit shots, they're going to be able to do that they're, And you're right. The Celtics don't have a dude that you can consistently count on. Yeah. Peyton Pritchard can get hot. There's no question. Derek white is, is the guy they're going to bring off the bench though, mostly. And he's going to play, mainly defense, and I think the Warriors are going to leave him open for the most part, mm -hmm. but they don't have a guy that can just give you 25 off the bench the way Poole can. So that's they have the advantage there, but it's going to open up other opportunities for the Celtics to take advantage of. That's true. It actually reminds me a little bit of like what they just went through in the Heat series with Tyler Hero, right? And of course, Hero, obviously, you know, he, he suffered some injuries and he wasn't able to play a couple of these games. And even the game you know, game seven when he did try to play in the first half. I mean, like, he just clearly didn't have it either. So, but it's similar um, because even one hero was healthy in that series. Like, I mean, he wasn't able to score, and it was like they're taking advantage of him on the, uh, on the other end as well. So, yeah, this is um, this going to be a really interesting series. Um, Mo, like, how do you – do you have a serious prediction? I have one, and I'm not too confident in it, but okay. I have the Warriors in seven. Okay. Um, I could see this going either way. Like to me, it's kind of a toss up series because it's going to just be dependent on how each team sort of handles the other, the other team's uh, game plan and how they kind of approach things. I, before this week or actually before game six, I probably had the Celtics winning in seven, but just the way they played down the stretch, I got, I got scared. So I ended up going <laughs> with the Warriors. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that's an interesting thing too. It's just like, what, what is it about Boston where like, it feels like things can be really cruising for them. And then like, there's no reason why they even needed a game seven to, to I mean, it's not, dispatch it, of the heat. Like, it's not even that. It's just like, yo, the last three minutes you were up by 13. How did it come down to a Jimmy Butler three? Yeah. <laughs> like what, you know, their offense completely fell apart, you know, and it's, it's something that I've touched on before in the past with Boston. And that's what scares me about this team. I can't trust them in the final three minutes and the Warriors are too experienced. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's why I also have Warriors in seven, but listen, Boston has a very good chance at this. You know, like when you're looking at how, like they're a bigger team, they're, um, I mean, honestly, their one-on-one -on -one scores are... I mean, Steph is also an incredible one-on-one -on -one scorer. They just very rarely does one-on-one -on -one stuff, but it's going to be a really interesting series, and uh, I can't wait to, to start watching it. But, Mo, thank you.
for joining us on the show. Um, yeah. You know, just put, you know what? Honestly, I already plugged it out top, but you, how about you plug what you're doing these days? Because you're doing a lot, and uh, it's always very high-quality stuff. I'm doing a ton of stuff, folks. Please, just the easiest thing to do is follow me on Twitter, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore N-B-A. I tweet out all my stuff all the time, so you'll you, you'll see where where my work is. You'll see when I'm going live on Twitch. You're going to see when I'm doing, uh, obviously, a one-more thing or a post-game show for somebody else or anything like that. Easiest thing, just follow me on Twitter. All right. Mo, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, we'll speak soon. And thank you for having me. All right. That does it for today's episode of the Raptors show. I actually wanted to pass along a few notes. Um, so first off, uh, Thursday, for people listening, um, the show will be off. The Blue Jays are playing a day game against the Chicago White Sox. And so there will be no Raptors show on Thursday. I'll be returning Friday with Alex Wong. I know it's a rare gift these days for the podcast co-host to actually, you know, come to the studio and work. But uh, Alex will be here on Thursday or on Friday, and we will cover more of the NBA Finals. We'll do, um, you know, usual Alex stuff. Probably I'll I'll probably try to talk basketball, and he'll probably try to convince me to not talk about basketball. And that's usually how this show goes. Um, Yeah. Otherwise, that does it for us today. I'm your host, Wayne Liu, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review our show, uh, reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel, airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday between 2 and 3 p.m. So catch us there. Um, also, make sure you stay tuned for Jay's Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. I already see Blake Murphy waiting in the back there, ready to give you two hours of nerdy b- baseball talk. So definitely catch that uh, live on air or in the podcast stream. Uh, thanks to my guests. Vivek Jacob and Mo Dekeel, our board producer Lance Kennedy filling in for Derek Brandale today, and Jennifer Olnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. I will talk to you Friday.